The Wind in the Willows, Chapter 5, Dulce Domo. The sheep ran huddling together against the hurdles, blowing out in nostrils and stamping with delicate forefeet, their heads thrown back and light steam rising from the crowded sheep pen into the frosty air, as the two animals hastened by the high spirits with much chatter and laughter. They were returning across the country after a long day's outing with otter, Hunting and exploring on the wide uplands while certain streams tributary to their own river had their first small beginnings, and the shades of short winter day were closing in on them, and they had still some distance to go. Plodding at random across the plough, they had heard the sheep and had made for them, and now leading from the sheep pen they found the beaten track that made walking a light business and they responded moreover to that small inquiring something that all animals carry inside them, saying unmistakably, yes, quite right, this leads home. It looks as if we were coming to a village, said the mole somewhat dubiously, slackening his place as the track that had him in time become a path and then had developed into a lane, now handed them over to the charge of a well-nettled road. The animals did not hold the villages, and their own highways, thickly frequented as they were, took an independent course, regardless of church, post office, or public house. Oh, never mind, said the rat. At this season of the year, they're all safe indoors by this time, sitting around the fire, men, women, and children, dogs, cats, and all. We shall slip through all right, without any bother or unpleasantness, and we can have a look at them through the windows, if you'd like, and see what they're doing. The rapid nightfall of mid-December had quite blessed the little villager, as they approached it on soft feet over a fit first thin fall of powdery snow. Little was visible, but squares of a dusky orange-red on either side of the street, where they Firelight of lamplight on each cottage overflowed through the casements of the dark world without. Most of the low, latticed windows were innocent of blinds, and to the inlookers from outside, the inmates gathered round the tea table, absorbed in handiwork, or talking with laughter and gesture, at each that happy grace with it that is the last thing the skilled actor shall capture. The natural grace which goes with perfect unconsciousness of observation. Moving at will from one theater to another, the two spectators, so far from home themselves, had something of wistfulness in their eyes that they watched the cat being stroked, a sleepy child pick up and huddled off to bed, or a tired man stretch and knock out his pipe at the end of the smothering log. But it was from this little window with its blind drawn down, a mere blank transparency on the light, that the sense of a home in the little curtain world within the walls, the larger stressful world of outside nature shut out and forgotten, most pulsated. Close against the white blind hung a birdcage, clearly silhouetted, every wire perch and appurtenance distinct and recognizable, even to yesterday's dull-edged lump of sugar. In the middle of the perch, the fluffy occupant, head tucked into his feathers, seemed so near to them and so easily stroked that they tried, even the delicate tips of the plumbed-out plumage, penciled plainly on the illuminated screen. As they looked, 
The sleepy little fellow stirred uneasily, woke, shook himself, and raised his head. They could see the gape of his tiny beak as he yawned and was bored sort of away, looked around, and then settled his head back into his feathers again. While the ruffled feathers gradually subsided into perfect stillness, then a gust of bitter wind took them by the back of the neck. A small sting of frozen sleet of the skin woke them as from a dream, and they knew their toes could be cold and their legs tired, their own home distant, a weary away. Once beyond the village, there were cottages seized abruptly on either side of the road. They could smell through the darkness of the friendly fields again, and they braced themselves for the last of the long stretch, the home stretch. The stretch that we know is bound to end. Sometime in the rattle of the door latch, sudden firefight, and the sight of familiar things greeting us as long absent travelers from far oversea. They plodded along steadily and silently, each of them thinking of his own thoughts. The moles ran a good deal of supper, as if it was pitch dark, and it was all strange country for him as far as he knew. And he was following obediently in the wake of the rat, leaving the guidance entirely to him. As for the rat, he was walking a little way ahead, as his habit was, his shoulders humped, his eyes fixed on the straight, great road in front of him, so he did not notice the poor mole when he suddenly summons and reached him, and took him like an electric shock. We others, who have long lost the more subtle of the physical senses, have not even proper terms to express an animal's inner communications with the surroundings, livings or otherwise, and have only the word smell, for instance, to include the whole range of delicate thrills which murmur in the nose of the animal, night in and day out, summoning, warning, inciting, repelling. It was one of these mysterious fairy calls from out the void that suddenly reached out to Mole in the darkness, making him tingle throughout and through his very familiar appeal, even while they could not clearly remember what it was. He stopped dead in his tracks, his nose searching hither and thither in his efforts to recapture the fine filament, the telegraphic current that had so strongly moved him. A moment, and he had all caught up again, and with it came the time for recollection in its fullest flood. Home, that way, it's that way, that's the way home. Those soft touches wafted throughout the air, those invisible little hands pulling and tugging all the way. Why, it must be quite close by him at this moment, his old home that he had hurried for, hurriedly forsaken and never sought it again, that day when he first found the river. And now it was sending out its scouts and messengers to capture him and bring him in. Since his escape on that bright morning, he had hardly given it a thought, so absorbed had he had been with his new life in all its pleasures, its surprises, its fresh, captivating experience. Now, with a rush of old memories, how clearly it stood up before him in the darkness. Shabby indeed and small and poorly furnished, and yet his, the home he had made for himself, the home he had been so happy to get back to after his day's work. And the home had been happy for him too, evidently, and was missing him, 
and wanting him back and was telling him so, though his nose reproachfully, but with no bitterness or anger, only with plaintive reminders that it was there and it wanted him. The call was clear, the summons was plain. He must obey it instantly and go. Ratty, he called, full of joyful excitement. Hold on, come back, I want you, quick. Oh, come along, Maul, do, replied the rat cheerfully, still plodding along. Please stop, Ratty, pleaded the, more, the poor Maul in an anguish of heart. You don't understand, it's my home, my old home. I've just come across the smell of it. And it's so close here, really quite close. I must go to it. I must and I must. Come, come back, Ratty. Please, please come back. The rat was by this time very far ahead, too far ahead to clearly tell the mole what was going on, too far to catch up the sharp note of painful appeal in his voice. And he was much taken up by the weather, for he too could smell something suspiciously like approaching snow. Mole, we mustn't stop now, really, he called back. We come for it tomorrow, whatever it is you've found. But I daren't stop now. It's late, and the snow's coming on again, and I'm not sure of another way out. And I want your nose, Mole, so come quick. There's good fellow. And the rat pressed forward on his way without waiting for an answer. The poor Mole stood, stood along in the side of the road, his heart torn asunder and a big slob gathering, gathering somewhere low down within him to leap up the surface presently, he knew in a passionate escape. But even under such tests as this was, loyalty to his friend stood firm. Never for a moment did he dream of abandoning him. Meanwhile, the wafts of his old home pleaded, whispered, conjured, and finally claimed him imperiously. He dared not tarry longer within the magic circle. With a wrench that tore his very heartstrings, he set his face down the road and followed submissively in the track of the rat, while faint, thin little smells still dogging his retreating nose reproached him for his new friendship and his callous forgetfulness. With an effort, he caught up the unsuspecting rat, who began chatting cheerfully about what they would do when they got back, and how jolly and fire logs the parlor would be, and what a, what a supper was meant to be eaten. Not noticing his combination of silence and distressful state of mind. At last, however, when they had gone some considerable way further and were passing some tree stumps at the edge of a copse that was bordered in the road, he stopped and said kindly, "Look here, Mole, old chap." You seem dead tired. Now, talk left with you and your feet drag like a, a lead. We'll sit down here for a minute and rest. Snow had held off so far, and the best part of the journey is over. The mall subsided forlornly in a tree stump and tried to control himself, for he felt surely coming. The sob he had fought with so long refused to be beaten. Up and up. It forced its way to the air, and another, and another, and another, and all the others thick and fast, till poor Mole at last gave up the struggle and cried freely, helplessly, and openly, now that he knew it was all over, and that he had lost what he could hardly be said to have found. 
The rat, astonished and dismayed at the violence of Mole's paroxysm of grief, did not dare to speak for a while. At least, he said, very quietly and sympathetically, What is it, old fellow? Whatever can it be the matter? Tell us your trouble, and I'll see what I can do. The poor mole found it difficult to get way words between the upheavals of his chest that followed one upon the other so quickly that held back speech and choked him as it came. I know it's a shabby, dingy little place, he sobbed for at least a little bit brokenly. Not like your cozy quarters or Toad's beautiful hall or Badger's great house, but it was my own little home and I was fond of it and I knew and I went away and I forgot all about it. And then I smelt it suddenly on the road when I called you and you wouldn't listen, Rat, and everything came back to me with a rush and I wanted it. Oh dear, oh dear, did I want it and I wouldn't turn back, Ratty, and I had to leave it though it was smelling it all the time i thought my heart would break you might have just gone and had a look at it ratty only one look it was close by but you wouldn't turn back ratty you wouldn't turn back oh dear oh dear recollection brought fresh waves of sorrow and sobs again to the full charge preventing further speech the rat stared again in front of him staying saying nothing only patting Mole gently on the shoulder after a time muttered gloomingly, I see it all now. What a pig I have been. A pig, that's me, just a pig, a plain old pig. He waited till Mole's sobs became gradually less stormy and more rhythmically. He waited till at least the last sniffs were frequent and, and sobs intermittent. Then he rose from his seat and remarking carelessly, well, now we'd really better get on to it, old chap set off up the road again and to the toilsome way they had come. Wherever you are, wherever you're going to, Ratty cried tearfully the mole, looking up in alarm. We're going to find that home of yours, old fellow, replied the rat pleasantly. So you had better come along, for it will take some finding and we shall want your nose. Oh, come back, Ratty, do, cried mole getting up hurryingly after him. It's no good, I tell you. It's too late and too dark. And the place is too far off and the snow is coming. And, and I never meant to tell you. I know I feel that way. It was an accident, a mistake. I think of a riverbank and your supper. Hang riverbank and supper too, said the rat heartily. I tell you, I'm going to find this place now. If I stay out, all night, so cheer up, old chap, and take my arm, and we'll find it soon. We'll be back there again. Still snuffing, pleading, and reluctant, Mole suffered himself to a drag back along the road in his imperious compassion, who by a flow of cheerful talk and anecdote endeavored beguile his spirits back and make the weary way seem shorter. When at last it seemed to the rat that they must be nearing that part of the road, the mole had been held up, he said. No more, no more talking. Business, use your nose and give your mind to it. They moved on in silence for a little way, while suddenly the rat was conscious through his arm that he was linked to moles of a faint sort of electric thrill that was passing down the animal's body. Instantly, 
he disregarded himself, fell back in place and wailed. The signals were coming through. Mole stood a moment rigid while his uplifted nose quivering slightly felt the air. Then a short, quick run forward, a fault, a check, a try back, and then a slow, shady confidence advance. The rat, much excited, kept close to his heels to the mole, with something of the air of sleepwalker, crossed in dry ditch, scrambled through the hedge, and nosed his way over, over a field of open tracks and bare with faint starlight. Suddenly, without giving warning, he dived. But the rat was on the alert and promptly followed him down the tunnel to which his erring nose had faithfully led him. It was close and airless, and the earthy smell was strong, and it seemed a long time to rat ere the passage that he erect and stretched to shake himself. The mole struck a match, and by his light the rat saw that they were standing in an open space, neatly spent and swept, standed underfoot, and directly facing them was mole's little front door, with mole end painted in gothic lettering over the bell pole at the side. Mole reached down the lantern from the nail on the wall and lit it, and then Rat, looking around him, saw that they were in the sort of forecourt. A garden seat stood on one side of the door and on the other a roller, for Mole, who was tidy and of an animal, for he went home, could not stand having his ground kicked out by other animals in little runs that end in the earth heaps. On the walls hung wire baskets with ferns in them, alternating with brackets carrying pleasant plaster statuary. Garibaldi and the infant Samuel and Queen Victoria and other heroes of modern Italy. Down on one side of the forecourt run the Skittle Alley, with benches along the little wooden tables marked with rings that hinted at beer mugs. In the middle was a small round pond containing goldfish and surrounded by cockle shell borders. Out of the center of the pond rose a fanciful erection, clothed in more cockle shell topped by a large silvered glass ball that reflected everything all wrong had very pleasing effect. Mole's face beamed in the sight of these objects so dear him, and he hurried Rat through the door, lit a lamp in the hall, and took the glance around his old home. He saw the dust laying thick on everything, saw the cheerless, deserted look of the long-neglected house and its narrow, meager dimensions, worn and shabby contents, and collapsed again on his hall chair, his nose to his paws. Oh, Ratty, he cried dismally. Why ever did I do it? Why did I bring you to this poor, cold little place on a night like this when you might have been on the river bank by this time, toasting to your toes before a blazing fire with your own nice things about you? The Rat said to pay no heed to his doleful self-reproaches. He was running there and here, opening doors, inspecting rooms and cupboards and lighting lamps and candles and sticking them everywhere. What a capital little house this is, he called out cheerily. So compact, so well planned, everything and everything in its place. We'll make it a jolly night. The first thing we need to do is start a fire. I'll see to that. I always know where to find things. So this is the parlor. 
Splendid. You own the idea. Those little sleeping bunks in the wall? Capital. Now I'll fetch the wood and the coals and you get the duster. Mole, you'll find in one drawer of the kitchen table and find and try to smarten things up a bit. Bustle about, old chap. Encouraged by his spirit in the companion of the rat, the mole roused himself and dusted and polished with energy and hardiness while the rat, running to and fro the armfuls of fuel, soon had a cheerful blaze roaring in the chimney. He hailed the mole to come and warm himself up, but mole promptly had another fit of the blues, dropping down on the couch, dark despair, and burying his face in the duster. Rat, he moaned now. How about your supper, you poor, cold, hungry, wary animal? I have nothing to give you, nothing, not one crumb. What a fellow you are for giving in, said the rat reproachfully. Why, only just now I saw a sardine opener on the kitchen dresser, quite distinctly, and everybody knows that means there are sardines out there somewhere in the neighborhood. Rouse yourself, pull yourself together, mole, and come with me and forage. They went and foraged accordingly, hunting through every cupboard, throughout every drawer. The result was not so very depressing after all. Though, of course, it might have been better. A tin of sardines, a box of captain's biscuits, nearly full, and a German sausage encased in silver paper. There's a banquet for you, observed the rat as he arranged the table. I know some animals who would give their ears to be sitting down to supper with us tonight. No bread, groaned the mole dolorously. No butter, no, no pâté de foie gras. No champagne, continued the rat, grinning. And that reminds me, that's what the little door at the end of the passage, your cellar? Of course, every luxury in this house. Just you wait a minute. He made for the cellar door and presently reappeared somewhat dusty with a bottle of beer in each paw and another under each arm. Self-indulgent beggar you seem to be, Mole, he observed. Deny yourself nothing. This is really the jolliest little place I ever was in. Now... Wherever did you pick up those prints? Make the place look so homelike. They do. No wonder you're so fond of it, Mole. Tell us all about it and how you came to make what it is. Then the little rat busied himself fetching plates and knives and forks and mustard, which he mixed in an egg cup. The Mole, his bosom still heaving with the stress of his recent emotion, related somewhat shyly at first, but with more freedom, as he warmed the subject, how this was planned and how was it thrown out, and how this was and how this was got through a windfall of an aunt, and what a wonderful find of a bargain, and this other thing brought out a laborious savings and certain amount of going without the spirits finally quite restored, he must <clears throat> needs go and caress his possessions and take a lamp and show off their points to his visitor and expatiate on them quite forgetful of supper they both much needed rat who was desperately hungry but strove to conceal it nodding seriously examining with a puckered brow and saying wonderful and most remarkable at intervals when the chance of it of an observation was given at last the rat succeeded in decoying him to the table and had just got seriously 
to work with a sardine opener when sounds were heard from the forecourt without, sounds like the scuffling of small feet in the gravel and confused murmur of tiny voices, while broken sentences reached them. Now, all in a line, hold the lantern up a bit, Tommy. Clear your throats first, no coughing. After I say one, two, three, where's young Bill? Come on, do here, do there. We're all waiting. What's up? inquired the rat, pausing in his labors. I think it must be the field mice, replied the mole, with a touch of pride in his manner. They go around carol singing regularly at this time of year. They're, they're quite an institution in these parts. And they never pass me over. They come to Mole East all the time. And I used to give them hot drinks and supper too sometimes, when I could afford it. It will be like old times. Hear them again. Let's have a look then, cried the rat, jumping up and running to the door. It was the prettiest sight, a seasonable one, that met their eyes when they flung the door open. In the forecourt, lit by dim rays of horn lantern, some eight or ten little field mice stood in the semicircle, red worsted comforters round their throats, their forepaws thrust deep into their pockets, their feet jiggling in warmth. With bright, beady eyes, they glanced shyly at each other, sniggling a little bit, sniffing, and applying coat sleeves to a good deal. As the door opened, one of the elder ones that was carrying the lantern was just saying, now then, one, two, three, and forthwith, their shrill little voices uprose in the air, singing one of the old-time carols that their forefathers composed in the fields that were follow and held by frost, and when snowbound in chimney corners and handed down to the sun, to be sung by the Miri street lamp windows at Yule time. Villagers all, I don't know how to sing this. Villagers all, this frosty tide, let your doors swing open wide. Though wind may follow and snow beside, yet draw us in your sire, your fire bide. Joy shall be yours in the morning. Here we stand in the cold and sleet, blowing fingers and stamping feet. Come from away from your greet, you by the fire, we by the street, bidding you joy in the morning. For ere one half of the night was gone, sudden a star was led us on. Raining bliss and benison, bliss morrow and more anon, joy for every morning. Goodman Joseph toiled through the snow, saw the star, oh, stay below. Mary, she might not further go, welcome thatch and little below. Joy was hers in the morning. And then they heard the angels tell who were the first to cry Noel. Animals all as is befell in the stable where they did dwell. Joy shall be theirs in the morning. The voices ceased, the singers bashful and smiling, exchanged side-log glances, and silence succeeded, but for a moment only. Then from up above and far away down the tunnel they had so lately traveled was borne to their ears in a faint musical hum the sound of distant bells ringing a joyful, clagorous peal. Very well, snug boys, cried the rat heartily, 
And now come along, all of you, and warm yourselves by the fire. Have something hot, too. Yes, come along, field mice, cried the mole eagerly. This is quite like old times, she shut the door after you. Pull up and settle to the fire. Now you just wait a minute. We, oh, ratty, he cried in despair, plumbing down in the seat with tears impeding. Whatever we are doing, we've got nothing to give them. Yes, we do. You leave that all to me, said the masterful rat. Here, you with the lantern, come over this way. I want to talk to you. Now tell me, are there any shops open at this hour of the night? Why, certainly, sir, replied the field mouse respectfully. At this time of the year, our shops are open late, all hours of the night. Then look here, said the rat. You go off at once and your lantern, and you get me blank blank. <laughs> here much muttered conversation ensued, and the mole only heard bits of it, such as fresh mind, no, a pound of that will do, see, a buggings for... I won't have any more of that. No, only the best. If you can't get it there, try somewhere else. Yes, of course, homemade. No tinned stuff. Well then, do the best you can. And finally, there was a, a chink of coin passing from paw to paw, and the field mouse was provided with an ample basket for his purchases. And off he hurried, he and his lantern. The rest of the field mice perched in a row on the settle, their small legs swinging gave themselves an enjoyment of fire and toasted the chili bands until they tingled. While the mole, failing to draw them into easy conversation, plunged into a family history and made each of them recite their names of his numerous brothers, who were too young, it appeared, to be allowed to go out a caroling this year, but look forward to it shortly after the winning of the parental consent, the rat, meanwhile, was busy examining the label of one of his beer bottles. I perceive this old Burton, he remarked approvingly, sensible, mole, this is the very thing. Now we shall be able to mull over a great ale. Get the things ready, mole, while I draw the corks. It did not take long to prepare the brew and, and thrust the tin heater well into the red heart of the fire and soon every field mouse was sipping and coughing and choking for a little mulled ale goes a very long way and whipping his eyes and laughing and forgetting that he had been cold all his life they act plays too these fellows the mole explained to the rat make them up all by themselves and act them afterwards and very well they do it too they gave us a capital one last year about a field mouse who was captured by captured by a sea barbary corsair and made to row in the galley. And then when he escaped, he got home again and his love had gone to the convent. Here, you, you were in it, I remember. Get up and recite a bit of it, please. The field mouse addressed, got up his legs, giggled shyly, looked around the room and remained absolutely tongue-tied. His comrades cheered him on. Mole coaxed him, encouraged him, and Rat went so far as to take him by the shoulders and shake him, but nothing could overcome his strange fright. They were all busily engaged on him, like watermen applying to the Royal Humane Society's regulations to a case of long submersion. 
when the latch clicked, the door opened, and the field mouse with the lantern reappeared, staggering under the weight of his basket. There was no more talk of play-acting once the very real solid contents of the basket had been tumbled on the table. In a very few minutes, supper was ready, and Mull, he took the head of the table in a sort of dream, saw a lately barren board set thick with savory comforts. He saw his little friend's faces brighten and beam as they felt <clears throat> to without delay. As they ate, they talked of good old times. The field mice gave him the local gossip up to date and answered as well as they could for a hundred questions as he had to ask. The rats said little or nothing, only taking care that each guest had what they wanted and plenty of it, and that Mole had no trouble or anxiety about anything. They clattered off at last, very gratefully, showering wishes on the season and the jacket pocket stuffed with remembrances for the small brothers and sisters at home. When the door had closed on them, the last clink of the lanterns had died away. Mole and Rat kicked the fire up, drew their chairs in, brewed themselves a last nightcap of mulled ale and discussed the events of the long day. At last, the rat, with a tremendous yawn, said, Mole, old chap, I'm ready to drop. Sleepy is simply not the word. That your own bunk is over on that side? Very well, then. I'll take care of this. What a ripping little house this is. Everything's so handy. <clears throat> he clambered into his bunk and rolled himself well up his blankets as a slumber gathered him forthwith as a swathe of barley is folded into the arms of a reaping machine. The weary mole also was glad to turn himself without delay, and soon had his head on his pillow, great joy of content, but ere he closed his eyes, he let them wander around the old room, mellow in the glow of the firelight that had played, and rested a familiar friendly fires and things that had gone and been unconsciously part of him this whole time, and now smilingly received him back without rancor. As he was now just in the frame of mind that the tactful rat had quietly worked to bring him about. He saw clearly now how pain, plain and simple, how narrow even it all was, but clearly too how much it all meant to him, and the special value of some such anchorage in one's existence. He did not at all want to abandon the new life and its splendid spaces, to turn his back on sun and air and all that offered to him and creep home and stay there all day. The upper world was all too strong. It called to him still, even down there, as he knew he must return to the larger stage. But it was good to think that he had this home to come back to, this place which was all his own, these things which were so glad to see him again and could always be counted upon for the same simple welcome. <clears throat>